Well, maybe you already have your Bibles open to the book of Ecclesiastes. As we began a study there last Wednesday night, and we talked about how we have a study of Solomon's testimony, if you will, a testimony of the test that he conducted. Can peace, fulfillment, contentment come to us by anything or, or everything that this world has to offer? Can we find satisfaction there apart from God? It's his testimony. God made him the instructor of the book, as in the, the, the human instrument who wrote it. He's the one who's the preacher. He's the son of David. He's the king in Jerusalem. David had other sons, but he didn't have another one that was king in Jerusalem. So surely Solomon is the writer of this book. He's the instructor. And then we quickly got to the instruction in the second verse of the, the first chapter, he was bursting at the seams to, to give a conclusion. He gives a full conclusion that we'll come to at the end of this book. But his conclusion about the things of the world, about anything in this world bringing peace and satisfaction to us, he had, he had one word that he nailed that down with, and that was vanity means emptiness, means worthlessness, like, a, like vapor, like cotton candy, like, like soap bubbles. It just, it didn't last, it didn't satisfy. He came up with a whole bunch of nothing by having everything he needed to go to get anything in the world to make him happy and nothing did. He, uh, you know, we might try things that make us tingle, make us feel talented, make us feel as though we're on top of the world if we were to venture into the world. But all of that experience and all of the accumulation from it would be of zero value or worth. Vanity, vanity is the word. Vanity is the word we'll come to over and over that Solomon not only, not only speaks as being the word of God, but God also used his experience to, to say that after such an experience that we would never reach the depths of to look for satisfaction. And he says, it's all vanity. But though he gives us that, that, quick, that quick analysis of things, we're taking, we're taking through the experience of it and the, the effects of that experience upon Solomon. And so as we said last week, we need to remember that this book was written from man's point of view. You might take this book and look at the rest of the Bible and think that you see contradictions. But that's where we always have to keep in mind, this is man's point of view in this book. Therefore, we shared how Solomon viewed his life as insignificant in worldly pursuits without God. And, and there was no way to escape vanity in the test. If, if anyone could, if it could be done by way of the world, he had the resources, he had the wisdom that he used in the wrong way, he had everything he needed to be able to escape vanity, but he couldn't do it. There was, there was no way to get satisfaction. To, 
The Bible spoke of the eye was not satisfied, and, and nothing to do with him was satisfied. There was no way to get to satisfaction. He couldn't fill up the emptiness. We're all born with an emptiness within us, and only God can fill it. Many people are going many places and to many other people to try to get this fulfillment. But God made us in such a way that only He could fulfill it. So after Solomon went throughout all the world, he's able to testify that the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence, no matter where or how you try to hop that fence. And so we have an investigation that he went through. And so tonight, as we get into chapter 2, we're going to look at some details of that investigation that he gives. And so in the first 11 verses, we're going to look at his venture into enjoyment and even his venture into employment that he didn't find satisfaction in. Look with me in verses 1 through 3 at the enjoyment. I said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? Let me stop right there actually and... Take a look there in the beginning of verse 1 and verse 2. He says, I said in mine heart. And then in verse 2 he said, I said of laughter. And go ahead and look at the first few words of verse 3. I sought in my heart. Well, we we ought to stop and take note here of something good we can say about Solomon. I said the first half of the book's going to be a lot of gloom and doom, but there's going to be a, a lot of uplifting and a lot of, lot of delight in the last part of the book. But one thing we can see here is that Solomon isn't padding his mistakes. You know, could he, could he say something about dad and dad slips up, David? and the way that he slipped up, and try to use him as an excuse for some of his failures, he, he didn't do that. He, he didn't pad his mistakes. He claimed his own responsibility for his own downfall. Somebody will blame everyone else in the world without doing what is going to help the person by us looking within ourselves and realizing ourselves. Solomon did that. He said, I, he, uh, he said, I said, I said, I sought in my heart. But where we might also consider where Solomon did good in that he didn't pad his mistakes, we also see that he didn't allow himself to learn from his father's mistakes. His father was a great man of God, but he wasn't perfect. He wasn't batting a thousand. None of us do. And he, he didn't let himself learn from his mistakes, nor did he seek counsel from men of God who were more godly, had had more experience than him that could help him. He had a lot of wisdom, but he didn't have everything that he needed. And there was godly counsel that he could have sought but he didn't do so. We don't, we don't find that here. We see by his experiment that he, that he doesn't. By his own testimony, he doesn't. 
He just listened to his own head and his own heart. I tell you what, that can be a dangerous thing. To walk away from a situation, to need to deal with a situation. And if we just talk within ourselves, within our own feelings, within our own heart and mind, and it just goes back and forth, that is a dangerous thing for us to do. That is exactly what Solomon was doing, though. Back and forth within himself. This venture into vanity, it is his own idea. And, you know, we could have the same idea. We need the warnings of this book. There are things that are always trying to bombard our minds to make the wrong decision about something. To, a temptation to do something that doesn't glorify God. We're, we're not above acting on our own ideas and, and leaving God out and, and making some unprofitable decisions. Uh, you know, this isn't just a possibility, it's a probability. Not that we're going to take off on an experiment like Solomon did. I hope we don't. Even though we have this testimony here, there, there, there are billions that, that do still. Um, but we're prone to do wrong. So as we look at Solomon, there, there are good lessons uh, for us to learn here. We're prone to do, long, to do wrong. The song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm, I'm thankful for the next line, though, that says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. This, this testimony will and should help us just that much more to cling to the Lord, to, to embrace his word, to call on him in prayer, to seek wise counsel, to cherish the fellowship of other Christians, and iron sharpening iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend, the Bible says in Proverbs. And to not do as many do, and as the world says to do, just follow your heart. That sounds so beautiful, doesn't it? Yet, that's the last thing you and I ought to be doing, is following our heart. Or, or the obvious, if it feels good, do it. That seems to sum up a lot of people's uh, decisions in what they do. Jesus tells us what's in our heart. In Mark chapter 7 and verse... 21, he says, for from, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, out of the heart, and defile the man. There is a great need for the Word of God in this spiritual battle that we're in, to be surrendered to God. I'll never forget the first time, and I've given this as testimony before, that I, I was a babe in Christ, and I was sitting in church on a Sunday night before church started early, and I was reading my Bible, and I, and I opened to Jeremiah, and it said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know much but that I was a sinner and I needed Jesus and I did trust Him to save me from my sins. By His grace, He saved me and He started changing me. And when I looked at that, I knew that that was true about my heart. And, and the best thing that we can realize is our propensity still to, to, to drift off to where Solomon did. You know, Solomon's father said after his bad decisions, David, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. But instead of learning from history, for Solomon, he repeated history. And he followed his heart's desire of enjoyment. His mission statement here could have been enjoy pleasure. Verse 2, he said, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? This tells of a certain aim that he had. Laughter and happiness is the plan. I've heard people before say, I'm, I'm not taking anything negative in my ears. I'm, I'm happy with who I am. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about good things. I'm going to think about things in life that make me happy. I'm only going to be around people who build me up. I want to laugh. I want to be happy. I deserve to be happy. I'm going to do that. This was Solomon's plan. Will, will, this, will this satisfy me? Happiness and laughter, that's the plan. You know, sometimes a good laugh is exactly what we need. You know, uh, it, sometimes it just, it just hits right on the spot. I'll, I'll admit, I'm going to tell you a secret. I, when, 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 when Shelley has a problem with me, which is well justified sometimes, I do what I can to make her laugh. And try to, I feel like it makes it go away. And uh, don't worry, we get to the bottom of it. But sometimes a good laugh at a good time, oh, it's right on time, and it's what we need. But a laugh can never suffice for being everything that we need. We, we can't make that happen in this world that we live in. It never soothes the soul with perfect peace. We say we laugh to keep from crying sometimes. You know, we, we try to use that mentality. We, we, we stick our toe in on that mentality. But Proverbs 14, 13 says, Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. At the end of that mirth is heaviness. But, but the world seems to try that in a lot of ways. The world, the world has that avenue for us to try to go down. There's, there's a comedy show on TV every hour. There's recreation on every corner. There is entertainment uh, everywhere you go. There, there's a huge market for it today. When I was a kid, these, I don't even remember what we had. I never got to go to them, but there were some kind of entertainment places. And man, they would suffer during the week. There wouldn't be anybody there. And then you got to where... It was too crowded on the weekend, so you try to go bowling on a weekday. Now, every time you go by an entertainment place, it's packed. It's, there, there are people there filling the parking lot constantly. There is a huge market for entertainment. And people are trying to be satisfied with happy times and with laughter. Don't get me wrong. There are many pleasures that the Lord gives us. Uh, I've had more fun as a Christian than I ever did 
before I became one. Good, 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 true fun, a fun that lasts, a, a fun that's good, that, that, that's okay, that doesn't hurt other people. God gives us a lot of things for our pleasure. But, but if someone tries to replace the Lord with a good laugh, well, that's vanity is what is being summed up here. Without God, without walking with Him in a relationship, it's, it's vanity. It's a, it's a puff of smoke, and, and it's gone. But He moves on from laughter to liquor in His experiment. Verse 3, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under heaven all the days of their life. Let's not miss Solomon's aim with alcohol here. He's not wanting to, to, make the, to drink the blues away out of his life. He's, uh, he's, trying, to, he's trying to fulfill the desire the desire that everyone has. Everyone has a desire in life that they be satisfied in life. And he has turning, he is turning to wine to try to see if, if this kind of life will satisfy his desire. Notice what he says. He said, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom. He plans to drink wine mixed with wisdom. He's, he's you know, he's going uh, for a test here. He's truly planning to drink wisely and responsibly. When I've seen commercials for alcohol and then there's a little, little fine print caption at the end of the commercial that says, drink responsibly, it, it makes me chuckle at the thought of that. As if it can be controlled. It doesn't take the place of being controlled. It's a controller. 20 years ago, I said, be careful of walking into a church where they say it's okay to do this or that. Just make sure you control it. I can't imagine how much more it might be said today to control something that doesn't take that position of being controlled. It is a controller. And so Solomon plans, though, to drink wisely and responsibly. He used wine for the experiment of fulfilling the emptiness in a person that longs for satisfaction. And can this happen? And as he has summed all of this up, there was no lasting positive effect for him. And so in verse 4, we go from entertainment to employment. Not that that's all the entertainment that he, that he went into, but let's, let's look at his employment that he goes to to try to fulfill himself. In verse 4, he says, I made me great works, I builded me houses. He became a home builder. George is a home builder. I don't think George is trying to have his life satisfied by being a home builder. But understand the project. Understand the mission. The investigation that Solomon's going into. 
He, he is looking to satisfy himself. You can read of that house in 1 Kings chapter 7 and, and verse 1. It says, but Solomon was building his own house 13 years and he finished all his house. He was... He was looking for some satisfaction. We not only find that in 1 Kings 7, but if you go to verse 2, we find, we find his weekend place. He built also the house of the forest of Lebanon. The length thereof was an hundred cubits, and the breadth thereof fifty cubits, and the height thereof thirty cubits, upon four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams upon the pillars." So his weekend place was 180 by 90 by 55 just for the weekend place that he built. And, and so he's not only a home builder, but we see he goes from home builder to landscaper. And all of this is ultimately for fulfillment in his life. The end of verse 4, he says, I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I love a beautiful manicured yard. I, lo I, I love a yard that has a lot of color in it. I can't seem to get anything but green to stay growing in my yard. I can't, I can't get that color like I see. But when I'm driving down the road, there's one on the way to the church, and I... I think I have me a moment every time I pass it. I appreciate it. I love the colors that I see, and it always looks good. And I'm going, how do they do that? Why can't I do something like that? I, so I slow down, and I have, I have me a little moment there. I hope when I get a block down the road, my mind might be on something important, though. But, it was, but not with Solomon. He is all about that. He has become a landscaper. He is trying to be satisfied with, with what he can do in this. He became obsessed with it. He increased his servants for the manicuring of his lawn, for the help with his garden, with the vineyards that he had, the shrubs, the flowers, the trees. He bought more cattle for the work that was involved in all of his landscaping project. You know, many of us might want to improve our landscaping, and that's okay. I, I like to dabble with it. I like to try. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, George is talking about how hot it is out here. I, I reckon anybody, get somebody else to mow their yard and give them seven bottles of water while they do it for you. Right now, anyway. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Solomon was trying to find satisfaction in yard of the month. He was, sounds like he was going for yard of the decade. And he was obsessed with it. He was looking for, for satisfaction anywhere out, outside of God in this world he could. And he, he couldn't find it. Look what it says in verse 6. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. Well, he didn't get the ditch witch and, and have it, you know, dig him up a, a little trench where he can put that plastic PVC in there and, and get him a watering system. But there was a way in that day and time that he figured out to do it. And, 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 and he went to great lengths 
to be able to water all these trees and the shrubs and the gardens and the vineyards that He made. I mean, He designed a system for watering it all. He employed Himself into the landscape business as well as the home building business to try to satisfy Himself with, with what He did and, and what the results of what He did was. And then in verse 7 through 9, He says, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. My long time ago, my brother, he liked this, uh, my middle brother, he, he liked this Texas singer. And my brothers and I grew up, we grew up fighting. If somebody wasn't bleeding, something was wrong. But I had a good thought. I thought of talking to his friends and, and, and this singer that, that plays and sings, having a, having a party for him. And, and maybe this, this is a local person, you know. This is maybe something we can do. And I thought I wanted to do this special thing for him. And then I found out how much it would cost to do something like that. And, and I didn't want to do something so special for my brother, I realized. Not that special. But Solomon did just that to satisfy himself. We talked about the reserve that he had. We talked about the ability and that he had, the power that he had, the, 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 the financial means that he had uh, to, to go to great lengths in this. And he bought himself a group of men and women singers to, to sing for them. At, like to, he could have them round the clock playing for them. He could tell them the the songs that he wanted to hear, his favorite songs, he was, he was able to pay for it without a problem. It, it wasn't a problem. He could get it, and he did. The problem was it didn't pay off. When he was looking at that independently from God for satisfaction in his life. He was the, the greatest, the richest king who could, who could have all of this, and it didn't bring him contentment. And so we look also in verse 10, and, and you know, we kind of, when, when, when I read, the first time I read that years ago, and I thought about him gathering up and having him a band of singers together, I'm like, he's really going to some great lengths. Man, I mean, he, he is able to go, uh, you know, a, a lot deeper than, any, than anybody else would have. But then, where I thought that was extreme... Then you read verse 10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Well, whatever, whatever his eyes desired, he made it his. He wanted it. He had the power. He had the pocket to be able to get it. No limits, no boundaries. 
Obviously, morals didn't matter. No standard was too low. And, and all of these avenues that he was able to pursue for hopes of satisfaction were a disappointment to him. He got nothing for it. Verse 11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, here it is, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He tried to find fulfillment and employment, and spending it on maximum enjoyment, and, and making uh, a reach past the efforts of anyone else, and and it was not there to be found in this experiment. It, he came up short. He came up completely empty. So many discover the proper view of the world way too late after many scars in life. But oh, if this lesson could be read, could be taken in, could be reverenced, and the prevention of wasted days, that, that would be priceless. That, that we could keep from having wasted days. But though there may be wasted days in the, in the past, there doesn't have to be wasted days ahead. It's, it's never too late for, for someone to be able to turn. And we read in verse 12 that very word, Solomon says, And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath already been done? We see here that, that Solomon made observations from his experience to make decisions. You know, with, with God's help, we can make good decisions. God is giving us responsibility to make decisions. God sends or allows everything in our lives, but He allows things to happen or not happen in our lives also, and He uses decisions for us to make in the process. He, he's using circumstances that come into our lives to give us an opportunity to make good decisions. God lets our decisions be involved in the things of life. Solomon has a decision here and he, to turn. Ultimately, we find that he turns from the list of pursuits that he got into. He changed from one thing to another, trying to get there. But he found that there was no change. There was not that peace. There was not that contentment. There was not that satisfaction from anything that he had, and he compares wisdom and madness and folly. It says in verse 12, And I turned myself to behold these three things. That word behold means to study. 
He studied what wisdom, madness, and folly and the effects of them had on life. And, and he, his study was so thorough. His experience was so thorough. His study was so thorough. Look what he says in verse 12 also. He says, um, um, For what can the man do that cometh after the king? In other words, Solomon would be able to say completely, directly, I have been there. I have done that. Please listen to my experience. It is vanity. It doesn't satisfy. He punished himself. But thank God he wanted us to have this word that we might profit from the things that the experience that he punished himself with. Anyone is able to take this in. With God's help, anyone is able to take this in and see Solomon's experience. Be proactive and avoid the empty events of life. Yet, yet there are multitudes who are doing the same thing that Solomon did. Someone's, I, I don't remember where I got this quote, but someone said, we usually have to feel the fire or touch the wet paint ourselves. And we have the Word of God, though, to learn from this experience. So Solomon not only turns, but Solomon saw. Look with me in verse 13 and 14. Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly. As far as light excelleth darkness, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Solomon compared wisdom and folly, and he saw that wisdom is better than folly. So much better he likens them to light and darkness, wisdom and folly. Light to darkness he likens them by. To live with wisdom is to constantly use God-given judgment and discernment in all things. But to live in folly it is to live as though we have no eyes, always stumbling around in darkness and fall into all sorts of things. Something else he saw was one event happeneth to them all. To live wise, a certain event happens. To live foolish, a certain event happens. To, to everyone, something that everyone agrees on. You know, that life's going to come to an end. There's, there's no doubt about it. There's no argument at all. Some live wise, some live foolishly, and death comes to all. That, that he turned and he saw. But remember, remember where he's telling us things from man's point of view. And, and so though he's learned in the midst of his, in the midst of his experience, he says, verse 15... Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. 
For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? What's the use in being wise then? Is a thought that he has here. But remember, again, God appoints this book from man's perspective. He's learning lessons, but along the way, in this under-the-sun perspective, it's, it's like, you know, verse 15, we're all going to die. Verse 16, we're all going to be forgotten. You know, for the most part, forgotten is true. But we're remembering Solomon right now, all of these years later, and his life, most people are forgotten and don't want it to be that way. You know, we, we want to be remembered. But Chuck Swindoll says this, How hard we try to keep it from happening. We don't build our tombstones out of cardboard. We build them out of granite. We don't paste names on the stones with masking tape. We etch names into solid stone. And we hope the sands of time and the winds of the weather won't wear those words away. We don't want to be forgotten, but a lot of times we will be. And Solomon's fresh viewpoint on that, uh, fleshly viewpoint on that, man's point of view, he's, he's saying who cares if we live wisely or foolishly then. It's all vanity. We're going to die and be uh, forgotten. Where he messed up is, not by, is by not stopping to realize God never intended for us to set a goal on ourselves being remembered. We exist to make, not, make God known and that He might be remembered through us. And, and as we get to verse 17, looking in verses 17 through 23, He hated. Verse 17 says, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. To pursue life, pleasing self, will always produce a sad outlook on life. And it's proved here through Solomon. Someone said, I hate life, and yet I'm afraid to die. And, and that didn't come from a person, that didn't come from the lips of a person that lived their life in, in the will of God. He says, he goes on to say, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored, and, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is a vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge, Knowledge and inequity, yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is a vanity and a great evil. It's, it, it's important. You know, Solomon had an employment and he, he worked hard and he had these things and he did things with these things. But when he did them for self, you know, what's the end of that? And he has this burden at the end of the life due to his selfishness of what's going to happen with, with this. Who will it be left to? You know, and, and he's, he's having such a hard time with this. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
you know, it would be great to have a child to continue the family business and know that it can continue to thrive. But to murmur and complain, it's far from setting our affection on things above and not on things of this earth. Every, everything belongs in its certain place. The only thing that satisfies is Jesus. The things we can accrue from this world, the, the finances we can accrue from this world, they do not satisfy. They serve a purpose. And, and, and we, can, we can enjoy with these things. And we do good things with these things. We provide for our family with it. But, but, but don't trust it and don't look for it for your satisfaction in those things, but in the Lord. You know, he, uh, Solomon didn't have a problem with what he received from David. But now, in his venture without God in this world, he's having a problem with where these things are going to go. It's dangerous for us physically, mentally, and emotionally, of course spiritually, to journey through life apart from God in what we do. We, we look at everything from a different perspective with or without walking with the Lord. We, we cling to things we shouldn't whenever they're only meant to be had for a time. We, we're not to look at these things selfishly. Look at verses 24 through 26, and we're going to close. He says, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat, or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon starts to come around now. And he's, he's given a piece of the puzzle from this experiment that he's having from his life experiences under the sun and that perspective. And, and that is that God knows what he's doing and he gives us many good things to use, to, to praise him with, to honor him with, to glorify him with, not, not for self. It's not for self, it's not for any gluttonous purposes. To use what we have to glorify God, it's, it's the only way to have satisfaction. There's no satisfaction apart from our walk with the Lord. And when we walk with the Lord and, and we have His perspective, then, then anything we have, all of these things, all, everything we do in life, we we develop a, a sacrificial perspective to it rather than a selfish perspective to it. God knows what He's doing and, and what things He gives us and what He gives them for. And we're truly wise when we learn how to use what we have to glorify God instead of personal satisfaction. The sinner that misuses what he has, that's vanity and vexation of spirit. But what he has is eventually taken to him and given to those who are good before God. Well, hopefully by the end of this, 
we're, we're really going to gain something from... I mean, the Bible's repetitive, and we need it over and over. And there's always the temptation, is the grass greener on the other side of the fence? If, if only I could get this, this would make me happy. Well, this book leads us back to only the Lord gives satisfaction. The only contentment we're going to have in life, it comes from Him. He's the giver of these things. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we do bow before you again tonight. We thank you for a time to share your word. I thank you for a testimony that we might learn from. Solomon in the flesh, we, you know, we're in the flesh and, and the, the vestiges of that flesh try to rise up and there is the temptation that, that comes our way to think in such a way that would be more of self than, than looking up to our Savior. And help us, Lord, to learn from this example, to realize that only you give fulfillment, only you give contentment, Lord, and, and may we continue to serve you. May we continue to look to you. May we continue to love your house, to love gathering with your people, to worship your holy name, to tell others about your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for true satisfaction and contentment that comes from knowing you and serving you, that nothing in this world can touch. It can't compare to it. And we thank you for the lesson on that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.